Well, good evening, everybody, even though it said good morning. <laughs> oh, well, welcome to our uh, BioTouch Healing uh, Health Condition Workshop on Childhood Ear Infections. And uh, my name's Paul. Good evening, everyone, or good morning, whatever it is. <laughs> this is Bev. Hi. And we have a special guest presenter today. We have uh, Dr. Renee Strelo. And she's a medical doctor, family practitioner. Uh, welcome, Renee. Thank you. Welcome, Renee. Hello. Hi. So she's going to give us a great presentation. She's prepared well for this. We have some nice slides to show with it. But first, we have even more important information. <laughs> <laughs> we have our secretary of the board of directors of the International Foundation of Biomagnetics just had a baby! Hey, Kai! <laughs> Congratulations! Kai Cox, and that's not Kai there, that's her husband with the beard. <laughs> Matt, but, congratulations, Matt. Yes, and that is their baby, Macy Amelia Cox. She was born at 10.04 a.m. this morning, oh. and she was 8 pounds, 15 ounces, and 20.5 inches long and from all the ladies I've talked to they say that is big that's a strapping girl <laughs> strapping girl and the other interesting thing is that baby was born on the date of her mother's birthday oh how cool now isn't that interesting congratulations that's... Kai congratulations Matt congratulations to the whole family, whole family. all sides of the, the program we're excited for you. So, oh, and it yes. was all natural birth. It was a lot of BioTouch in the midst of that pregnancy. And she had a doula who'd learned BioTouch working with her. So another BioTouch awesome. baby is on the planet. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So here we are. Renee, we're going to just have you just start talking about uh, the ears and ear infections. And if, there's any, if anybody out there has a question, just type it in the comments and we'll relay it to Renee. So take it away, Renee. Of course, the doorbell rings right now. <laughs> <laughs> the joys of doing this from home. But <laughs> I, I, so I'm Dr. Renee Stralo. I'm a family medicine doctor, have been for 30 years. Uh, seen a lot of kids along the way. So um, a very common reason for kids to come visit uh, to the doctor is ear infections. Um, the most common causes are likely bacterial. There can be viral causes also. So sometimes you'll see this a lot when kids have a cold, um, but they can get it even without that. And um, I'm going to show a little bit about anatomy. Uh, we have a picture here just to help explain what's going on in the ear and why people are getting ear infections and also why the kids can get the ear infection so much. Um, so if he has that picture yep. for us. So they're seeing yep. it now, right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right. So if you look at the anatomy, it can be a little overwhelming, but I'm going to break it down. Um, there is, it's divided on the picture into the outer um, ear, the middle ear, and the inner ear. So the outer ear, as we all know, looking at our ears on the outside, but that also includes the canal that goes in until um, you get to the eardrum. You're, the more technical term is called tympanic membrane, or we frequently will abbreviate as TM, but that's your eardrum. So in the canal is the more common infections are when people get like swimmer's ear. 
people are familiar with that. Um, and it's just an infection in the skin of the canal itself. Um, it's uh, kind of a telltale sign on that is frequently it hurts to move the ear. And that gives us usually more of an indication that it's probably more of an outer ear infection. This is called otitis externa for external. So that's where you um, you hear that, hear that term. Um, well, frequently when we look in the ear for that, you'll see just a, can be a red canal, can be quite swollen. Sometimes it's even pussy. Um, and different ways to treat that. A lot of times they end up needing antibiotic drops if it's that bad, if it's very swollen and red. Sometimes if it's just very mild, some people may get by with just some analgesic drops um, using some Tylenol or Motrin for the kids. Um, and because generally speaking, the sooner you can get it dry, the better we find because the, the longer it stays moist, bacteria love moisture. They love nice, warm, moist um, spots to grow. And so um, you want to try to use, I generally use the antibiotic drops kind of for the least amount of time that I have to, to try to not have too much moisture in there. Um, and, but they usually will resolve, you know, quite easily. Sometimes if they're really bad, might have to add oral antibiotics, but that's rare. Usually you can do it with, with topical drops or things for comfort. Um, a big thing for that is sometimes people are prone towards that and kids are prone towards that. So you wanna try to keep the canal dry as much as you can. Even using some you know, after swimming drops or something like that to try to get keep the canal dry or use, um, use earplugs, things like that. And trauma, that's a big thing. People are digging in their ear canals and that's the way that people end up getting infection in there. So, so you do wanna um, watch for that. But that's your, so that's your um, otitis externa as we call it, or the, the outer ear um, infection. So when you're looking at your picture, the next thing you're gonna do is um, the, the canal goes, or the outer ear goes from the outside of the ear, like I said, to your eardrum. From the eardrum, um, to, there's a little window that goes into the inner ear. That's called your middle ear. And that's where most of the infections are gonna be that we're talking about that um, are deeper inside. So you see it through the eardrum or the eardrum itself being infected. Um, and that's how you see more of the, in, the middle ear infection. But as you can see from the diagram, that's also where everything starts for our, our hearing. So you have the eardrum there. The eardrum has to be able to move well. It starts the vibration going for our hearing. So if you have fluid behind the ear or it's infected, um, anything like that, of course, the eardrum's not gonna move well. So that's why you start having, you know, you can't hear very well when you've got an infection and the kids can't. So sometimes in smaller kids, you know, their symptoms or signs are gonna be, um, you know, a little bit tougher to, to tell sometimes on them. Um, we'll go over that a little bit more, but um, that's in the that's where it starts all the hearing. The eardrum, the little um, what we call ossicles behind there, that all start vibrating, and then that's that vibration is all transmitted through into the inner ear. So anything along that way that has fluid in it or infection is going to affect the hearing. Um, as you go a little bit further, important part you'll see it's called the eustachian tube. And you'll see that kind of drains down in the bottom towards the bottom. It drains to the back of the nose and throat, like way in that area. So anything that blocks that is gonna also affect your hearing. 
So you may hear um, them talk about eustachian tube dysfunction. And that just means that tube is not um, draining well. And our whole hearing system and everything is based on keeping air, keeping the air um, behind the eardrum and not fluid. It's not supposed to be fluid there. So that eustachian tube serves as a way to drain things. If it gets plugged up, you get fluid back up into the ears. That's a nice place for bacteria and viruses to grow. That's a nice culture medium, um, like a lab <laughs> of growing this stuff. And kids, everything is smaller for them. So their eustachian tubes are smaller. Um, they have bigger, what we call adenoids, which you might have heard people talk about tonsils and adenoids in kids. The adenoids are back there by the eustachian tube area and all of that area. So if things get more swollen, they got smaller tubes to start with, um, they can be just much more prone towards getting infection. And that's why kids, you know, they're, they're more prone up to like, even up to like two years old. Um, those are kind of the worst stages, like the six months to two years old, uh, where they're going to get more, they get more infections. And luckily, as kids get older and um, such, everything grows a little bit, then and they probably are draining things better. They don't tend to get infection uh, with ear infections necessarily as much. Just for the ones who are in daycare, and I'm sure everybody here has got kids in daycare who seem to pick up everything. So that can sometimes you know, um, make it tough because they will get a lot of uh, recurrent infection. Um, very young babies, as you're talking about a newborn now, um, kids up to like two months old, um, you know, you worry about them more when they come with an infection, especially kids two weeks or less, newborns with fevers, ear infections, any of that stuff, that they need to be more closely evaluated and look for a more serious cause of infection going on with them. So you do want to be careful in those really young newborns. Fever isn't good. And you know if they're showing any signs of infection, that needs to be evaluated. Um, but I'm going to go back more to what we call the otitis media. And that's that infection in that middle ear. And that's where most of the infections are. We can't see the inner ear, that's too far in. You know, all we can see when we're looking with a scope in the ear is this, the eardrum. And we're looking as far as the eardrum, that's all you can see. Um, and we're gonna go to some pictures of the eardrum, uh, which we can put up now, I think at this point, if you have those. Um, and this actually came, it was a great picture from one of those home otoscope kits that you can buy and more people are getting now. So that's where it's, good to get kind of comfortable with, you know, what does a normal eardrum look like? Because people are buying more and more of those kits at home. I mean, the kits to have at home. And they can look inside and look at the eardrum, which is great. And especially if somebody, if you have a kid who's prone towards getting a lot of ear infections, that can sometimes save them a visit, you know, because they can see in themselves and say, eardrum looks okay for now. I can kind of watch the, you know, the kiddo that's got a fever and a fussy and things like that and see what's going on with them. Um, but there should be a picture of what a normal eardrum looks on there. And as you can see, it's kind of pearly gray. Um, it looks nice and clear. You can see the little bones um, protruding from behind it, the little ossicles. So that's all part of the hearing. So that's how it should look normally. And then when, when you get infected, as it um, shows on there, of course, it gets more red. You lose some of those nice, what we call the light landmarks. Normally you see a little light reflex when you look in there off of that nice um, normal 
eardrum. But when it starts getting affected and it's red, you lose some of that reflection, it can be bulging. Um, and that tells you there's fluid behind there, there could even be pus behind there. Um, and those are things you're looking for to indicate that there's an acute um, ear infection going on. Uh, I think there's also a picture there of a perforation, which is a hole in the eardrum. So if things get too bad, then sometimes the only way for that fluid to come out, if there's too much pressure behind the eardrum, is to get it perforates and it gets a hole in the eardrum. So then you'll see drainage. So anytime you see in a kiddo that there's um, something draining from the ear, you've got to look and find out where it's coming from. If it's not a really bad swimmer's ear that's kind of weeping and making its own fluid and drainage, then you got to look and see if there's a if there's bad drainage in the eardrum or in the ear canal. There's most likely a perforation because in terms of how else it got there, if it's not an infection in the like a swimmer's ear. So um, that's a more, you know, we don't like to see that because that over time, if you keep perforating and you scar, scarring that eardrum, you can start thickening it, you know, that could affect hearing down the road too. Plus if it's such a bad infection in that middle ear, you've created a lot of pressure. There's a lot of, you know, pus around those tiny ossicles that are supposed to be moving and vibrating so that we can hear things. So over time, if they just keep getting a lot of ear infections or a prolonged untreated ear infection, then we do worry about um, you know, some effect on the hearing. And also on that picture, um, you can see it says PE tube or PE tube or ear tubes on it, that little white little plastic uh, uh, ring. That's for you know, the kids who get a lot of ear infections and they have tubes in their ears. That's what that is, is it just as a way to relieve that and get they can drain if they need to, and um, sometimes then it's easier so they don't keep getting so many ear infections because the, they don't have that constant buildup of fluid and all that. The fluid, that's a great place for bacteria and infection to grow in. So those are kind of nice pictures as far as what's going on in the eardrum as, as I'm talking more about the infections here. Um, so as I said, we're going for the glasses now. <laughs> that uh, the the middle ear um, is where most of the infections, and we call it otitis media. If you're going to pick up most of otitis is our, um, for infection. So you had the otitis externa in the outer ear. This is the otitis media in the middle ear. And that's most of what people are going to be talking about when they talk about ear infections um, for kids or anyone. And they now designate it as acute otitis media. So it's that's the more infectious type of uh, otitis media or ear infection. Because some, some kids will get it, and even adults sometimes, if they've just had these chronic infections, they just have this chronic fluid behind the ear. And sometimes they can get really um, like gelatinous, they'll call it like glue ear or things like that, where it just has been there so long. And that's really hard to drain. I mean, it's not going to drain well on its own. So that's for a lot of times the ear doctor's got to do something to try to get that chronic fluid out of there. Um, but luckily that's not the majority of what you see. The majority of what you see is the, is the acute otitis externa, those red ears like uh, I was showing on there. Uh, just for a few things, I, not to bore people too much with statistics, but just to realize how common this is, is by three years of age, 50 to 85% of children will have at least had one episode of acute otitis media. 
Mm. So it's very common. Um, and the younger uh, kids and the babies, um, you're gonna maybe some of the symptoms can be as we all know, they're rubbing and tucking, tugging, holding on the ears, things like that. You know, it's bugging them. So they're letting you know that there's something there. They can have a fever, be irritable. Sometimes you'll see the discharge. Um, younger kids, they'll lose their appetite. They don't want to feed. Um, sometimes they're vomiting um, or appearing lethargic, very tired. Um, what we're looking for when we go is that along with those symptoms that you see some of the redness in the eardrum, um, if you see it very severely bulging, you know, there's an infection there. Um, the new drainage, like I said, if they have anything like that, or if they're very intensely red, um, those are all symptoms to indicate there is a, an infection going on. Now, in terms of treatment, when I started out, <laughs> sorry Beth, um, pretty well kids were just put on antibiotics, you know, early on, because the fear was always, you know, if we let it go, then they're gonna get more serious infections because you worry about um, what they call mastoiditis, which is the mastoid sits back here. So if kids are having like bad pain, complaining of bad pain behind the ear and they've had a bad infection, then that's where you're worried that that's gotten deeper into the bones around the, the ear area. So um, we used to try to kind of worry about that more and think that we'd wanted to try to prevent that, but it's, it's changing more now. Um, the, the recommendations are more towards waiting a little bit because a lot of these are going to resolve on their own without antibiotics. Um, and you don't want to have the risks of the antibiotics if you don't need to. You know, a lot of kids, it can be rashes, diarrhea. Everybody, seem, they all seem to react to the antibiotics. Um, also, you don't want to kill off all the good bacteria, you know, in the gut because that is very important for our overall health and in trying to prevent more, um, like I said, the diarrhea and such. And also the, we'll get more and more resistant to the antibiotics if they're used so quickly. So in general, all of medicine for many things and including for kids is trying to hold off on antibiotics if we can so we don't have the resistance build up where the, bac the bacteria get more and more resistant to it. Because um, they're trying to survive too. So they're trying to figure out ways to not be killed by the antibiotics. So um, in general, they're watch it a little bit more. So people can do more of the things to try to make the kids comfortable, you know, and if they need to use like Tylenol or Motrin or something like that to make them comfortable. Sometimes heat can help. There's controversy how much it does. I'm kind of like whatever makes them, you know, feel more comfortable, <laughs> we'll go for it. And um, so we try to hold off a little bit more on that where they'll watch them more because they found that actually 80% of children will resolve in, uh, without antibiotics. So versus 93% with antibiotics um, within like um, like three to five days. So, so you, you know, you can wait a bit if you've got a reliable patient, reliable parents, um, you know, eardrum doesn't look that bad. Um, they aren't that sick. You can give them a little time to try things for comfort and, you know, less invasive um, ways of treating them to see if they will improve on their own and not need the antibiotics um, and whatever you can do to try to make them, you know, comfortable and such. Um, 
because when you do have to, if you do decide you have to use the antibiotics, because they're not getting any better, they're getting worse, um, they're having much more pain, they're getting higher fever, especially, you know, infants and stuff, and they're not eating and all of that. And you're the parent who's been up for, three, you know, two, three nights in a row with the sick kid, you know, then it starts getting a little bit more, well, maybe we do need some treatment in there. Um, so the most common antibiotic people are, I'm sure are very familiar with amoxicillin and it's still used as first line for uh, most kids as long as they're not allergic to it and they haven't recently been treated with it and failed it. Um, so, you know, so we do use high doses, higher doses than when we first used to start. So as you can tell, even over the years, even though it still works, um, the bugs have gotten more resistant to it. You got to use higher doses to get it to work. Um, so, like I said, we are holding off on that a little bit. And basically right now they're recommending for children from two to 12 years of age with non-severe symptoms that it's reasonable to um, observe them if you can trust the observation, uh, trust the observer and trust that they're gonna you know, be brought back in if they're getting worse. Um, so it's become, like I said, a little uh, more tempered as far as how we're treating and not rushing in to use the antibiotics so much and uh, see if they will resolve some on their own and not give them the side effects of vomiting and diarrhea and a rash and all the other things that they can get. Because um, they found that in general, even without using the antibiotic, um, they found that uh, it didn't, it, cause less pain. Uh, none of them improved with less pain in at 24 hours. So it is okay to wait. They aren't going to get instantly better, you know, overnight with or without the antibiotics. So you can watch them a bit and see how they're doing. Um, they actually found that none avoided recurrence of infection or hearing loss at three months when you do the antibiotics. So it's kind of like um, if they're going to get recurrent infection, um, I mean, it can still happen, even though you treated them for this infection with antibiotics, it doesn't mean they're not gonna get another recurrent infection. And also that the risks of the hearing loss perhaps aren't as severe as we used to think that, you know, you're gonna put them on antibiotics, you're gonna prevent them from getting hearing loss, that they still may get that just because of the nature of the beast with the infections. Um, that if you gave them antibiotics, only one in 33 avoided um, a perforated eardrum. Still for me, if, if it's my kid who's the one that I guess that, that uh, does uh, make you want to perhaps be more aggressive, but just in terms of not, you know, they're not all going to perforate the eardrum. There's going to be luckily a, a fairly low amount that will. Um, and that even those serious complications of uh, the mastoiditis, which is the infection behind into the bone behind the ear, or a meningitis where it has spread up into the brain. That didn't seem to really be related to giving them the antibiotics early on. People that were at risk were at risk for getting that and could still get it. Um, whereas one in 14 of kids developed vomiting, diarrhea, or rash. So, you know, it's pretty fair, high amount that will get the side effects from the antibiotics. So, that's why you're trying to be a little more cautious if you can and not feel like, you know, that you're going to, you're going to prevent every complication, you know, if you give them antibiotics that, um, 
observation and close follow-up is really the key to see if they're getting worse, then of course they need to come in. Um, so a couple uh, things as far as some of the risk factors for um, like, who are the kids that are gonna get this more? There's a lot of things that you know we can't change. Um, if they're younger than five years of age, um, they're more prone towards it. Um, if they have any kind of um, abnormalities of their face or uh, cranial, what we call craniofacial, but you know anything in the face, of course, that they have some type of anatomy problem that could make them more prone toward getting infections. Um, if there's a family history of ear infection, they can be more prone towards it. If they're a low birth weight or premature. Um, baby, let, uh, say less than five, says less than six pounds, low birth weight, they're higher risk for infections. Males are higher than females. Um, again, a premature birth weight or a premature baby. If they've had prior ear infections, if they've had a recent viral cold, you know, we see this a lot around with colds too. Um, white babies are actually more prone. So white males are actually the highest um, prevalence of ear infections. And some, obviously none of those things that we can necessarily change. Um, things that could possibly help that we can change. One is um, secondhand tobacco smoke uh, may be a significant risk factor. And certainly it's a risk factor for many other things for children. So that's really something to focus on if anyone in the household is smoking. It really puts the kids at higher risk for ear infections, asthma, um, just overall. Uh, issues. And anything that's kind of a crowded living condition. So of course, we see more when it's cold and everyone's inside. Um, lower socioeconomic levels, um, daycare, school, you know, they're around a lot of other kids. They put everything in their mouth and touch everything and, you know, <laughs> and bring it home to mom and dad too. Yeah. Um, uh, reflux. So you have some kids that do have problems and babies who have the, the reflux, the acid reflux all the time. Anything like that is higher risk. Just because mm -hmm. as we talked about with the anatomy, when you have those restation tubes that are draining into the back of the nose and the throat area, anything coming up <laughs> is higher risk to get into that eustachian tube. Mm -hmm. And that eustachian tube is a, it's a nice path and canal back up into the ear. So it does, um, serve as a nice freeway <laughs> up into the ear. Um, also breastfeeding can help. So lack of breastfeeding may put them at higher risk. Even breastfeeding for up to three months um, can help significantly. Mm -hmm. If they can breastfeed up to six months, it can reduce the incidence by 43% um, for ear infections. So breastfeeding is very helpful and, and important if, we, if they can. Not everybody can, and you know, some people it just doesn't work well for, for different reasons, but if they can use it, it is one other benefit of breastfeeding. Um, also using a pacifier after six months of age may possibly worsen. It's, some of the data is kind of iffy on that, um, but it's felt that the prolonged pacifier use may aggravate. And if, if they never get ear infections, then you don't have to worry about it. If they're a kid who's getting a lot of ear infections, then that may be something that you wanna look at because if they do get a lot of ear infections, most parents are wanting to look at anything that might, that might help not having to keep getting these infections. 
because it's miserable for the kiddos and it's miserable for the parents when they have the ear infection. Yeah. So, um, and then the other thing to try to avoid the bottle propping, you know, to not um, have him laying so flat and then propping the bottle up for them to feed. Mm. That also is, we talked about just the anatomy. You can imagine if everything's going back in there, then um, that may make him more prone towards infection. Um, so a couple other things, just in terms of help, helping or not helping, um, I commented on the handout that the topical anesthetic um, eardrops and some of the um, uh, naturopathic eardrops have been found to decrease pain in some small studies, but there isn't overall evidence to, um, it, 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 there's not sufficient overall evidence to necessarily recommend that routine use. So it's one of those things, you know, sometimes people will try if it helps, it helps. If it doesn't, then don't keep using it. Um, they should be avoided though, if you have any concern of a perforated eardrum. So if there was drainage before, don't put anything in there because it's just gonna go back through the hole in the eardrum and potentially cause more problems. Because, you know, other chemicals and foreign materials are not intended to be in that middle ear. So you don't want to put those in there. And in general, from a scientific thing or studies, there is limited um, evidence of benefit of home remedies, such as the heat or the cold or the oil drops and stuff. But sometimes people will try it. It's worth a try and see if they feel better. Um, if they don't or they aggravate some more, then it's certainly not worth doing. Um, and then I mentioned, so other options would be discussed by BioTouch to describe or discuss uh, some other options that uh, you could try. But I hope that wasn't too overwhelming, but I was just trying to give you some ideas of, you know, how common these are and things that right. we're looking for from a medical standpoint when you come and bring the baby in or the child in. Um, if it's just a little pink and they're a little fussy and, you know, not bad, then try to avoid the antibiotics if you can. But you know, if they come in and they've got a raging red bulging ear that looks like it's about ready to perforate and we see those and they're miserable and they're running a high fever, you know, that, that's going to be the one that you're going to be inclined to give them an antibiotic because it, it, it is generally, you know, it's hard to tell somebody to just take your kid home when they're miserable and it looks bad and, you know, to try to prevent something from happening if you can. But um, if they're not bad and you have to sometimes look for other reasons why they're fussy and, um, See what else could be causing it. Okay. I did want to mention one thing in the anatomy when we were talking about the inner ear, which is way inside, is that's also where a lot of our balance system is. So right. if, when they say that you have an inner ear infection, um, or and luckily kids don't seem to get this that much. That does happen more with adults. We have more things that happen to us because of aging in the inner ear. Um, but that's where people can get dizziness or vertigo, the room is spinning type thing. That's more the inner ear, that's further inside. Um, and, uh, but luckily, like I said, kids don't tend to seem to get that too much. But dizziness or vertigo it can happen with ear infection. Um, Good to know. Oh, I think that's probably wow. most of the points. That, was I don't, that helps. <laughs> yeah, it does. You know, we had one, we had a few questions, but one of them that seemed important was um, can chronic allergies cause ear infections? Yes, it could, because when right. we're talking about the anatomy, anything that makes you congested right. up here and blocks that eustachian tube right. is 
can make you prone towards getting infection. Wow. Now, the allergies probably not so much itself as far as the ear. It's just that it's causing it's causing blockage. Right. You know, and people get a lot of sinus problems and kids who have a lot of sinus issues yeah. and yeah, their, sinus. the nose. That's why even like some of the if the kids will let you do it, some of the saline lavages we do those for adults too, where right. you know use more of the saline rinse because if you can rinse this out and keep the sinuses open. You're going to have less stuff go up into Perfect. the ears. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Wow. That was Renee, great. Dr. Renee, that was awesome. <laughs> the <laughs> pictures worked well. Uh, you know, a few people said that was an awesome, great information. Yeah. Uh, and you've just given us some more information, too, in relation to how we're going to present BioTouch here right. in the second <laughs> half. I, my brain's yeah. just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, oh, my gosh. That's we good. appreciate that. Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks. And I hope that uh, you enjoyed it enough where maybe you'll come back again for another another one of our little health condition workshops. You, you're a yeah. great presenter. We appreciated that. Uh, Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Everybody have a good evening. All right. See <laughs> you, you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, that was a trip and a half. <laughs> I had no idea. I had a son that had ear infections every time I turned around. I knew nothing back in those days, evidently. So, well, I always say I wish I'd had BioTouch. Holy moly. Well, you know, and I think that's what we're going to present here. You know, we're only going to share with you a few sets of points. Yeah. Uh, one that we didn't put into the manual is, is the sinus set. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the moment she said that, I wrote down sinus. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. So we're learning all the time. This is great. But, you know, I'll tell you, the greatest part of her presentation was just observe for a while. And do BioTouch. Yes. Because, While you're observing, do yes, BioTouch. Because yes, because you know, she's given you the two, three days to just watch it. Don't jump Observe. to the doctor. Don't yeah. you don't have to go rush and get an antibiotic. Just watch and it'll could cure itself on its own. Well, and BioTouch is not gonna hurt. You're not putting anything in. She said, nope. be careful of the drops. I mean, it, there's nothing finer than doing a bio-touch for perfect. ear infection with children. Oh, my gosh. We have a great system here. So it, it, it's amazing. And, you know, I just, uh, well, let's just teach the points. I'll give you a little thing that uh, another doctor that did it with his child. So we're going to let Bev uh, take you through the, the little uh, workbook that we have. If you want to look it up, you can go to justtouch.com forward slash workbook. You can download it right away and follow it with Beth. And uh, that will also have the links to the video we're going to show you here. And Bev's going to take you through it. She's also going to explain a little about BioTouch for those of you who are here and have never even heard of what BioTouch is. So take right, it away, right, right. Bev. I did want to thank you, Paul. I just I, I did want to mention that um, if you want to get our uh, workbook on uh, childhood ear infections, it's, it's really a wonderful uh, small presentation that we've put together for you. The first page always gives an overview, a synopsis of what that health condition is. So it just kind of opens the door. And then, and then there's, uh, okay, good. Yeah. So yeah, it just, uh, you know, begin with that. And so we're going to go to page six from our manual. 
And um, we're just going to kind of go over some um, general information for you. And like Paul said, if you're new to BioTouch, um, here we go. So what is BioTouch? Well, it is a very light touch using the first two fingers of both hands. And you're touching very lightly on the skin, what we say like a butterfly. And it's definition, one person touching another person lightly on the skin. This is, this is, this is the definition of BioTouch. We always get, of course, those questions. Can you do it on yourself? Well, <laughs> boy, have we been going over that since this pandemic, haven't we? You know, just by definition, that's not BioTouch, but you know, we always say, well, you know, if you can reach those points in that set, then, you know, we don't know. Um, it could help and it could not. So we're very neutral on that. Um, that's, you know, up to you. We just don't call that BioTouch. BioTouch is, first of all, a relationship between two people. Uh, practicing this really wonderful, powerful healing technique. So uh, let's begin by, uh, there's uh, four bullets on page six. We'll just kind of quickly go over each. It kind of gives a synopsis of, of uh, everything. So we always say BioTouch is easy to learn. There's 17 sets of points in this technique. Um, the manual is amazing. We have a manual and a, and a DVD that you'll see as we go along with the sets of points we're going to present to you tonight um, that explains. Uh, you see the one side on the left, which is a diagram of and, 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 you know, the body, that part of the body with um, the steps to follow in those sets of points. And then on the right-hand side is a written explanation of how to find those points. So BioTouch is a language of its own. It, it uses a, a specific language. Um, you don't have to know anatomy. We, um, for an example, that we call that big bone at the base of the neck, which you will, we use that as a, as a guide to certain, uh, finding certain points and sets. Well, you know, in the medical world, it's called the C7, but we call it the big bone. So anybody can use BioTouch because the language is just, well, I guess for the, for the layman, you don't have to have a spe any special education. So that's why it's easy to learn. Yes, and we have had children. In fact, that's the beauty of BioTouch. That's the most amazing thing about BioTouch. Children can learn this just like an adult. I mean, it's, it's just amazing to me. You can turn around and show your child how to do a set of points on you or on grandma or the neighbor down the street, whatever. And they know it. It's kind of like this innate child in all of us. That's what BioTouch is um, kind of holds. It's, it's, it's just a safe, non-invasive, um, very powerful way to care for another person um, and address their pain and their stress. So uh, it's a compliment, we say, to any healthcare program. Well, you know, we've started using other words. It's totally integrative. It is a holistic system. And because it's non-invasive, it, it complements everything. 
whether you're on a special diet, whether you're under a doctor's care, whether you're doing other modalities, BioTouch only enhances what you're already doing. And it's very safe. So you can use it in conjunction with everything. Um, there's no levels of learning. Everyone is immediately effective when they learn BioTouch. And this is one of the most beautiful gifts of this technique. It is meant for every single one of us to learn and to use in our lives, with our families, with our friends, with some, somebody you're sitting next to on the airplane. <laughs> I mean, it's just the most human uh, technique. It's very unique in that. So everyone's effective the very first time. After tonight, when you learn these sets of points for ear infection, if you happen to have somebody in your life with an ear infection, I guarantee you, you can turn around and use those sets of points for this person and something will change. You will be effective. Paul's been doing this for 30 plus years. You'll be as effective as Paul is. And that's saying something. Let me see. <laughs> and then, and then the, uh, the last bullet, there's no sense of preparing yourself to do BioTouch with somebody else. You don't have to, you know, clear or cleanse or prepare. You can, you can do music, you can do lighting, you know, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But the beauty about BioTouch is you meet that other person in whatever environment you are in with that person. You don't have to, you know, be centered or anything like that. It's, this is a human relationship with another person. And so your state of mind doesn't even matter. You know, you can ha be having a really bad day. The moment that you touch another human being, boy, all barriers begin to break down. So that's basically what's gonna go um, happen with BioTouch when you start practicing this. We just wanted, to, we always want to let you know, um, you know, what it is and how easy and simple and beautiful it, it will change your life. So this is, here's the process before we start doing it. You always wanna wash your hands. You're always gonna use the first two fingers of your hands. You're going to touch very lightly on the skin uh, like a butterfly and those sets of points that we're going to teach you, you want to hold them at least six to eight seconds. And that's it. That's, that's it. <laughs> I mean, here we go. <laughs> so Paul and I, we always go through and we look at the most basic sets of points that you can use to address a health condition. And so that's what is presented in our workbooks. So let's begin with the greeting. Am I gonna be seeing the video, Paul, or just them? Uh, they'll, they'll see the video. So there's the greeting. Now we okay. did show the uh, terms, but those aren't necessary to know these few sets of points, but we'll just right. go ahead and show the greeting to the folks and then we'll come back. The greeting is always performed at the beginning of each session. It's the only set that uses one hand and the only set that indicates which hand to use. 
The greeting is performed with the dominant hand. If you are right-handed, use your right hand. If you are left-handed, use your left hand. The greeting is made by touching at point one, which is in the fleshy area just below the bottom of the breastbone or sternum. Hold this point for six to eight seconds. Then with the same two fingers, touch point two on the back. To find point two, look for the big bone at the base of the neck. From here, move one to one and a half inches to the left. This is point two. Hold this point for six to eight seconds. More than one associate may work with a recipient provided that all of the associates perform the greeting. If the associate or the recipient leaves the session, or if someone who hasn't done the greeting touches either the recipient or the associate, the greeting must be re-established. Then the session may proceed from where it was interrupted. Okay, um, and I just want to reiterate that the greeting is always must be performed before any other um, sets of points are addressed to the body. This is the key. It really establishes a harmony between the one who is giving biotouch, the one who is receiving biotouch. This is that perfect relationship of healing that we enter into. And the nice thing about that one too was that was that the son was there yes. with his parents doing there that you go. greeting. So, so you know, our part of our vision is to get BioTouch into as many families in the world as possible. And I just I, when I see that picture, it just it just reminds me of what's possible. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we're going to go um, to the ear infect through the ear no. set, right, Paul? No, that infection. We have infection. Oh. oh, we did. Okay, see, I don't have that in front of me, so right. you have infection, to kind of guide allergy. Me. Infection, okay. allergy, and poison. Infection, allergy, and poison. Well, you know, it was interesting because you were asking. They were asking about the allergies. So, so hey, why not use use that whole set? Not just infection, but yeah. The infection, allergy, and poison sets are three separate sets of points. They all share the same hold point, which is the same as greeting point one, located in the fleshy area just below the base of the breastbone. As with all sets of points, these may be touched repeatedly. Infections of any kind anywhere in the body may be addressed by holding X and with the other hand touching point one which is at the base of the large muscle on the right side of the neck and slightly above and behind metabolism point one. Allergies or allergic reactions may be addressed by holding X and with the other hand touching point two, which is on the right side of the neck directly behind metabolism point three on the top of the large muscle. To address poisoning within the body, hold X and with the other hand alternately touch point one and point two. So simple, but very, very effective. And I think what's important too is even if you're taking an antibiotic, 
being yes. having this set for the poison set will help the body not accumulate the side effects of that. That's a, yes, that's a great point. Yeah, so all three of those are really, really great to use. Definitely. Now we're going to the ear set, which addresses all of that infection and loss of hearing, what all, yeah. That, that what was nice when she showed the ear the whole ear, the inner, the middle, and the in the inner and the outer ear. Outer. And this ear set, it doesn't matter where the infection is in there, and you're not probing and things like that. Right. So it, yes. Again, it was so inspiring to listen to her in relation well, to biotech. You know, that brings us back to the so I was thinking about this when she was actually talking about the all three of those. Um, and I was thinking, oh, the body the body knows where the where the problem is it doesn't matter if you're just doing it on it will use it to address what it what's out of balance for it so yeah it you don't have to dig your fingers in there or anything yeah <laughs> all right let's show it here the ear set may be used for any conditions affecting the ears including problems with balance and equilibrium step, step one. one on, on one, one side, side of the head hold it at x, x which, which is, is just in front of the flap at the opening of the ear. On the opposite side of the head, touch points one and two. Point one is at the indentation in the bone behind the ear, about one third of the way down from the top of the ear. Adjust the fingers to be snug against the skull. Point two is a small indentation at the bottom of the ear directly behind the jawbone. Again, adjust the fingers so they are snug against the ear. Now find, now find hold point, point X on the other side of the head, head and in crossfire cross touch, touch point one, one. The indentation, indentation in the bone behind the, behind the ear, about one third of the way down from the top of the ear. ear. Then, then touch, touch point, point two, two, the small, the small indentation, indentation at the bottom, at the bottom of, the of the ear directly, directly behind, behind the jawbone. Jaw Finally, Finally, for step, step two, two, in matching fire touch points one and one, Two, two and, two. and two. X, X and, and X. X. Boy. Again, what's great, a, a mother-daughter. Yeah, I mean, right? it's like I know, <laughs> I know. And you know, just those three sets, Boy, you're going to really you're going to be able to address um, much of what uh, Dr. Um, Strela was talking about this evening. Biotouch, right. non-invasive, but very very effective. Yeah. We can't encourage you enough to learn Biotouch. Oh. Uh, I, I when I listen to the medical profession, and like she said, she even talked about homeopathy and right. and drops and saline. She says, you know, there's no clinical data for it. Well, right. you know that, and but she was very open to people trying different things, and and with BioTouch we know there's no side effects. You can't hurt anybody with BioTouch, yeah. so nice. you've got nothing to lose by by learning these points, doing them. Uh, it it can only help. You it know? can only help. And I was. And I'll say it again. If I had had BioTouch <laughs> yeah. when my son 
was young with his ear infections. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What I'll were tell you, you doing? One of the, we had a doctor uh, up in uh, California when we went there to open up a center. His son used to get three, four ear infections a year. He was going yeah. to school, just like the doctor, you know, yep. Renee was saying. So he had learned BioTouch and he did the ear set on his son. Lo and behold, the next season when he usually got those ear infections, his son didn't get a one. Not a one. So well, <laughs> do you expect me to say I'm surprised? <laughs> <laughs> I won't. <laughs> so, you know, I Come love on. these health condition workshops. I mean, they inspire me to really want to get this into your home into right. your family, into your hands. You've got yes. the ability. Yes, <laughs> yes. You've got the tools. You've got the tools. They're right. They're called this. Yes. So we are here to help you be inspired to use this in your life. Right. Uh, you can download that workbook uh, for this month for free. JustTouch.com forward slash workbook. If you want to become a member, you can get the entire uh, ebook with links to those videos that you just saw and then yeah. you get all of our workbooks uh, there's right. almost 50 of them now i know wow uh, and if you're here and you uh, miss some of our other health condition workshops go to that little bar up on justtouch.com where it says health conditions pull some of them up and you'll see there's about 50 of them up there that have other health condition workshops that we've done before Right. So right. we always try to keep them in an hour. If you know any massage therapists who want to take it, uh, they get us a, a CE credit for sitting yeah. with us for this hour. So let wow. us know how we can help you folks. Uh, and uh, next month's workshop, they're always on the fourth Thursday of the month. So the next one will be March 23rd. And we have a really awesome guest for that one. I think so. Yes. Dr. Yes. Zagul from uh, Dubai. Dubai, yes. He works with uh, children with autism, and he is going to share with us. Uh, in fact, we're going to tape him before because the time difference is so different. Yeah. But uh, we are looking forward to his presentation. That's going to be that's going to be a good workshop. Yep. yep. All right, Bev. Thanks. You did a great job tonight. Thank Appreciate you, Paul. It. Uh, same to you. <laughs> and thanks to Dr. Renee. Congratulations to Maisie Cox, who's now in the yes. world with us. Welcome uh, to the planet, Maisie. Yep. <laughs> so good night, everybody. And we'll see you all next month or tune in on Mondays. Mondays with Bev and Paul at 10 a.m. Tucson time. Yeah. Take care. Good night. Thank you.